Hi there! Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino, and I am so happy you're here today. I hope that you're having a lovely Wednesday, and I hope that the sun is shining wherever you are. Or actually, if you're listening at night, I don't hope the sun is shining because then that would mean there's some sort of like weird apocalypse situation happening. So I'm just going to say that I'm glad you're here. I'm so weird. Hi. (laughs) If you want to connect with me more and talk about other weird things with me, Instagram is my favorite place. So you can go to Instagram and type in at headhearttherapy. That's where I hang out with most folks online on, on the social medias. Um, Other ways that you can connect with me, I do have an account on Patreon. So if you've never visited Patreon, it's essentially a place where you can pay people for stuff, which is so cool because these podcasts cost money. Not for you, but for me, they do. So if you wanted to give any appreciation to the podcast, you can go there and donate as little as $1 a month. And if you become a patron, I send you a fun little welcome gift. And we try to find time to hang out, but it's really hard to get people together. Especially now people are like, I'm vaccinated. I want to go outside. So do you, boo. Do you. Now let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Dr. Linnell Plummer. She is the CEO and founder of Onyx Therapy Group, a DC-based mental health organization dedicated to providing mental health services for individuals and organizations in marginalized groups such as Black and Brown communities and the LGBTQ plus community. So I really enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Plummer, and I know that you will too. Dr. Linnea Plummer, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Hanging in there. We were just talking before this that, you know, being a therapist is kind of one of those days you're just seeing the clients, you're doing the supervision, you're doing the stuff. And now, ah. back to back, back to back to back. And then there's a moment where you have to like switch from just being the professional and knowing all the information to just being like, can I just breathe? Can I just be, you know, can Mm -hmm. I just be myself? I absolutely 100% enjoy the switch. Yeah. (laughs) Can I just connect, which is what I intend to do here. Yeah. Well, I'm here to do it with you, honey. Let's do it. Yeah. (laughs) Before we get into your story and all that, you want to tell people who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Dr. Linnell Plummer. I am the CEO of Onyx Therapy Group. We are a mental health company headquartered in Washington, D.C. We have nine offices in four states and we're Mm. focused on providing mental health services in very direct ways like individual counseling and group counseling, but also in more parallel processing ways in terms of supporting the federal government and the local government, schools and agencies, and their mental health people as they are supporting the clients. So we get to do a a range of things. We also source out. So when companies are looking for a mental health person to come on staff, they also come through Onyx and we handle that HR process and making sure Mm -hmm. that the folks have the right credentials and they have the right licenses and the education that is important as well. So three major departments in Onyx, and I have been loving this work and doing this work since 2013. I'm also faculty at Johns Hopkins University, in which I get to support the development of counselors in training and novice counselors through their education pursuits, which is another passion of mine. 
on a personal side, I am a mom. I have two teenagers. I have a beautiful wife that I love 100% and a doggy that just turned one today. Puppers. I tried to get him, Sarah, you should have seen me try to get him all dressed up for his birthday. He just wanted to eat his hat. So oh. I'm not sure. What kind of dog? He's a Havapoo. So he's a quarter Havanese, which is a breed out of Cuba. And then he's a three-fourths poodle. Oh, cutie. What's his name? His name is Milo Kwame. And when he's doing great, we call him Milo. And when he's acting up, we call him Milo Kwame. That's right. Use that full name. Now. So <laughs> super excited for him, but he has made us work. <laughs> mm. Oh, puppies. Well, I'd love to hear. I always think a therapist's origin story is really interesting. So as far back as you want to take us, but little Linnell running around the world, like <laughs> how did you decide at one point to become a therapist? Why are you here? Oh my gosh. I guess the simplest answer is I'm here because that was my purpose, right? Like my God and the ancestors said I was supposed to be here and have mm -hmm. these early experiences that brought me to these later opportunities and events in my life. Some of those early experiences include being from Los Angeles, California. I'm from LA. When I was growing up, I grew up in extreme poverty. Everyone was experiencing the financial elements of poverty, but they were also experiencing the emotional and mental implications of poverty too, right? So if we think about it real technical, it's those adverse childhood experiences I grew up in the 80s where in Los Angeles, again, where the community was being ravished by drugs and being mm -hmm. ravished by crime and wondering how some people were affected by that and other people weren't. Wondering how some people made certain decisions and other mm -hmm. people didn't. Wondering how some people got opportunities and other people didn't. I was also, again, the product of my mother. She was addicted to drugs uh, for the first part of my life. And I still remember going and getting support from social workers, mm. wondering how these folks were considered to be in the neighborhood to support us, but we couldn't tell them everything because it would have a negative backlash, right? It could impact our funding. It could impact, you know, the opportunity towards food. You could be taken away from your parents. Exactly. And, and being taken away from our parents. I was intrigued by it all. In the early part, however, I wanted to be a forensic psychologist because I was very much interested in crime development and mm -hmm. the psychology behind that. And then later I was considering being an attorney in the family courts because I've always, again, been interested in the psychology behind certain experiences. And then I went to Howard for my undergraduate degree. And in my work study program, I got exposed to a little guy. And he told me about how his school counselor had tremendously helped him in his life. He was only seven and he was mm -hmm. learning how to spell his name. And I was like, well, what, what helped you learn how to spell your name? And he said his counselor's name. Mm -hmm. And I started to wonder if maybe my purpose was not in just understanding crime development and the prevention of such or families and the law, but maybe it was starting at the root of it all, which would be the therapeutic experience. And at that point, again, I was 20 years old in my work study program. And I said, hey, let me look more into this mental health piece. And I did. 
So I stayed at Howard, finished my undergraduate degree, got my graduate degree there and focused on mental health. And I started my career working with young children and their mental health, starting at age three Mm. and developing a therapeutic center in a school because I felt that was the best way I was going to get to the root of things. So to uh, pay attention to what is happening with young children and where are all young children? School. In school. And is this in, this is a dumb question, but I don't even know what state Howard is in. Is it in D.C.? It's in Washington, D.C. Okay, so that's that's how you got there. And so this was all happening in D.C. I'm just trying to like get context of where you are. Yeah, that's how it happened. And I kept kind of going. I I have a whole story related to my women's health issues. So I also was having a child at this age. I was 22 years old and just entering into the military, as well as starting my Mm -hmm. career as a mental health provider and having a young baby. She's now almost 17 years old. And so it was a whole lot going on at once, but I always felt that I was afloat and on top of what I was supposed to be doing because I do truly believe this is my purpose. Mm -hmm. So I never felt terribly overwhelmed or confused because I think my life is designed around healing my communities and it just kind of made sense. Mm -hmm. Later on, I um, decided to finally come out to the world, right? I always had these bisexual identities and experiences And at some point I decided I was going to come out and that experience added into my community approach in terms of mental health. So I do a lot of work supporting minority, racial minority communities, gender minority communities and sexual minority communities, sexual orientation minority communities. And that's what we do. That's what we do in our in our nine offices. Right. It's all about supporting who we can support when we can support it. And it all kind of rooted in trying to understand my own community when I was a a little kid and figuring out how people make decisions and how systems are set in place and how we emotionally respond to those things. I didn't call it that at seven years old. Of course. But always curious around the psychology of people's behaviors. As such, my orientation is cognitive, always interested in thoughts, and then subsequently the behaviors. So a lot of CBT work. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really curious too the internal experience for you because being bisexual, being black, being poor, right? As a child, like I'm curious what events happened for you to, I'm guessing you probably put yourself in the resilient category, right? Since you like went on to be wildly successful. Yeah. So what was going on for you personally that you're like looking around and being like, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to move on. I'm going to be out. I'm going to be visible. Tell me more about that, that internal experience. I didn't feel like I was 100% fitting in. I've always felt that there was something Mm -hmm. that was different about me, but didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the sexual orientation, once my my great-grandfather was a Baptist preacher And so I spent a lot of time in church. And then once my mom achieved sobriety, we spent a lot of time in church too. And I hesitate around that because I I sometimes wonder in understanding addiction, if my mom actually switched her addiction from substance to religion. Mm -hmm. So, and and that became complicated as I'm trying to figure out my own identity because 
Sarah, I love the women. I love the women and it was not promoted, right? They were like, you cannot love the women. You have only got to love the men. And only after marriage and only one man. Listen, right. And so then you can't even explore elements of yourself, right? And here I am trying to figure it all out within the constraints of this religion that I also loved. I'm a Virgo, astrologically, my zodiac sign. Mm -hmm. So I love structures and predictability and Uh routines. And so church makes sense to me because there's tradition and there's experiences. And I love dressing up. Of course, people can't see that now, but I love clothes and I love fashion. And church became uh, an expressive way of all of that. But I also love women. The, when I became of age for attraction, I became interested in all of that and it became complicated. Mm-hmm. So my early experiences were really defined by my awareness of not fitting in, but still wanting and seeking places where I could fit in. Mm-hmm. And you know what helped me, Sarah? What, it was my books, because in my books that I was reading and checking out from the library or every once in a while people would buy for me. I realized that there was a world outside of this neighborhood that I was living in, in, in Los mm-hmm. Angeles and eventually in San Bernardino, California. So I knew that there were possibilities of places for me to fit in. I just had never experienced them. Mm-hmm. And so that gave me continued motivation and hope to leave the neighborhood. The other major element is that my dad is also a veteran. So at some point, my mom made a series of uh, bad decisions and my father said, hey, she's coming to live with me. Mm-hmm. And I moved to Seoul, Korea with my dad. I went to. Jeez, uh, that's a big change. I know. Right. A little for you. 13. I was 13, Whoa, almost 14. Formative years. You're literally picked up and dropped into a girl. You should have seen me there. Culture. You should have seen me there. I was like, what the fuck? Like, right? what am I supposed to do here? Right. So oh I don't God. even like physically fit in, but I fit in in other ways. And that gave me, again, continued awareness that I did have places in life. And either I was going to find the places that I fit in, or I was going to create the places that I fit in. And so that started my journey. And I was 13, almost 14 years old, a military brat, moving around, doing the things, reading all the books, feeling very much reinforced and affirmed. And then I came to Howard and that was just another affirming time Mm -hmm. period for me. I tease a bit. I say that uh, I also lay down and got knocked up because, again, I told you I had my child early on and I've just been on that path since then. Decided to come out because I felt that based on my spirituality, that God had made me who I was. And Mm -hmm. that was still an element of my life that I had not fully been affirmed in. And I said, hey, why not? Mm -hmm. And I came out and I think. You know, I would say probably about 98% of the people in my life supported that and that decision uh, to come out, not the decision to be bisexual. That's not a decision. The decision to live authentically or not, to live openly about it or not. And some people have that choice and some people don't because of their own safety. But I made the decision and I've been rocking and rolling ever since. Mm. Well, I I'm also bisexual and I relate Come to on, girl. Hey. <laughs> it's funny. I I I remember going out to a quote unquote lesbian bar once and I was like, why are girls not talking to me? And one of my gay friends was like, she's like, girl, you are so confusing. Like clearly you're not straight, but also there are parts of you that look like you're very straight. So she's like, you're very confusing to a lesbian. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It was so funny, but 
what I really relate to in your in your story is the way that religion imposes a certain way of being and really thwarts that internal knowing and that connection to self that is supposed to be developing at that age, right? Like yeah. if we have parents who have explored their own identity, then hopefully they can meet us there and they can welcome these parts yeah. of us that are different. But it sounds yeah. like both of us didn't have that. No, 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 absolutely not. And you know, what's crazy, Sarah, is that as I get older, I realize like, oh, that auntie is a lesbian. Oh, mm-hmm. that uncle is gay. Oh, I think that uncle is queer. Uh, but they were not, it's not that they weren't accepted in the family. Those parts of their identity just weren't discussed. And so although the family knew what was happening with them and their identity, it wasn't that the community knew and it wasn't that they necessarily talked about it Mm -hmm. much. So there was no label for it until I got older. Again, luckily, I'm in D.C., which is at times could be considered a very liberal area. So I would read at times, right? at times because there's sometimes when I'm like, where the hell do I live? <laughs> because this is not right. But that's when I started getting exposed to the different parties and the different clubs. That's when I started getting exposed to the different publications. And I knew because remember, for me, the books is what yeah. helped me. So that's when I started thinking about, oh, which books can I read? Like one of my favorite books is Does Your Mama Know? And it's a coming out anthology, Mm. if you will. Or I started reading more of the Elin Harris books. And I was like, oh, this is a, I can have a full identity here. And I waited until I was in my 30s to fully come out. Not waited intentionally, but waited because I was afraid of losing my community in the church, of which Mm. I did. I, I stepped away from the church during that time. I look forward to it now, though. I look forward to my music and things, but it's still a process. And I guess that's one of the experiences that I had. It's also why I'm very open to supporting members in the LGBTQ community, because I know the struggle personally. I know it not just for myself, but I know it for my wife and I know it for our friends and I know it for our family members that are part of the community. And so I'd love to create a safe space for people in the LGBTQ community to come in and talk and not have to define and mm-hmm. to come in and talk and not have to educate their therapist, but to just be a client and the counselor just understands because mm-hmm. they themselves are culturally competent in the community as well. But yes, tons of intersections, cultural intersections in my identity. And I love it. I was riding with my cousin coming back home today. And I was like, I love my life. I love it. But it's taken some work. It's taken some healing. Mm -hmm. It's taken some exploration. It's taken some awareness. It's taken some moments of sadness and figuring it out and discomfort. But I love where I am right now. That's great. And I mean, I think about bisexuality and probably pansexuality. Like if you are gay and you are in a relationship with a a same-sex person, you can't really hide that, right? right? And if you're bi, like I'm married to a man. And so most people probably assume that I'm straight, which is kind yeah. of stupid. I mean, look at me. The, of course, I'm not straight. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But I've been afforded the privilege of keeping that a secret should I want to do that. And I never would have told my parents. I never would have told them. Obviously, if I had decided to marry a woman, I would have had to. But because I met my husband in my 20s, it was like, okay, we're going to do this. 
I definitely have passing privilege, 100%. So oftentimes we've talked about passing privilege in the Black community in terms of the skin color and the physical features that can make a person pass from Black to white, right? Or at least like acceptable in white communities, right? Well, there's layers to it, right? Right. So some people full on pass Mm -hmm. into whiteness and Mm -hmm. it'll show up in their genetic uh, makeup generations later. You'll see a little kid that's like, does this kid fit fully in the family? But that's the recessive gene showing up, right? And then there's the other element that aligns with traditional beauty markers in the U.S., which again are based off of, you know, physical features. We are just now really starting to get into this passing privilege in the LGBTQ community. And mm-hmm. I definitely have passing privilege, much like how you talked about yourself at the bar. Rarely do women hit on me. I am actually the one who saw my wife, but my friends, we seemed like we were in middle school because I was like, oh, I like her. And so my friends were playing that game, right? Like they would mm-hmm. go and talk to her a little bit, come and tell me information. <laughs> we kind of figured it out. And Sarah, we were well into our 30s at this time. So mm-hmm. it, it was very cute. But rarely do women hit on me. And generally, men are the ones who are talking to me. What that does, though, is that it makes me have to come out far more frequently than my wife. My wife walks down the street. She's extremely beautiful and very much you can feel her masculine energy, Mm -hmm. but she's also very much embracing of all of her femininity too. But how she presents to the world is through this more masculine presentation in terms of her clothes and the way she styles her hair sometimes and things like that. I am very much high heels and lipstick and (laughs) well-fitted clothes and bags and all of those things. And because I am not the perception of what a lesbian or a bisexual person is, it means that I am sometimes put in a position where people will say things and I need to quickly address it with them because they're about to say something ignorant towards the LGBTQ community. Or I just say it because I want them to feel and understand that our relationship is not that different than a heteronormative relationship. We still love the same. We still take care of each other the same. We still raise our children the same. We still have our puppy the same and do all the same things. There's just certain elements that are different, but not all elements. So sometimes I come out because I want to teach people that we are very similar and should not be treated, you know, differently. Mm. I'm curious from your personal perspective, I don't want you to like try to speak for for all Black people, but in your experience of interactions with Black folks, whether it's the the church or family members who are homophobic, right? Because there is this, you know, stereotype that in the Black community, there's a ton of homophobia. What do you attribute that to, at least from what you're seeing? Religion. I, I attribute it largely to the Christian religion. The Christian religion is part of our ancestral makeup, but only because of colonization. Exactly. Right. It was imposed, right? Which I've actually heard that's offensive to some Black people to say that it's colonization because they're like, I chose this. And yet, ancestrally, you're right. You didn't. You're right, right, right. And some of our ancestors chose to be Christians in the continent of Africa, even while colonization was happening there. Now, whatever their reasons were or their decisions were is not for our full understanding right however once our ancestors hit this land they didn't have much choice 
The right. folks in the Caribbean were able to navigate it a little bit differently. So one of our religions of our ancestors is called Ifa. And in there, they were able to protect or hide Ifa in Catholicism because of the saints and right. because of what we call our Orishas and things like that. But because of Christianity in the United States being more based off of the Protestant practice of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, all of the saints or the Orishas couldn't fit into these three major elements. And so we lost an element of our spirituality and our practices and our traditions, which become part of our rituals and, and our identity. And in that, we also lost senses of fluidity in gender identity. Right. So in my studies around different folks of the African continent and that of the diaspora, there was a sense of fluidity. It wasn't this toxic masculinity that sometimes people want to place on African ancestry. Mm -hmm. The savage idea, right? right? And similar to our Native American um, mm -hmm. folks, there was, again, this fluidity. So this idea of women and men looked very different than it does in current time because people were able to embrace their femininity if they were masculine and they were able to embrace their masculinity if they were feminine and it was perfectly fine. And there were more than two genders and sexuality didn't have to be defined because if you're in a monogamous relationship, it has to be this specific thing. But if you're together in tribes and in collectives, it can be so much more expansive. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's where it comes from. And I think it's some, you know, I love my people 100%. This is, I am a reflection of them and they are a reflection of me. And sometimes I recognize that we didn't have access to information. So mm -hmm. part of the experience towards people in the LGBTQ community is based off of the religion, but also based off of a lack of understanding or some experiences around a lack of knowledge. And that's part of the reason that I come out so frequently because I'm like, if you knew, like you love me, right? Like you see Dr. Plummer and you're right. like, she's this bubbly extroverted person who's very transparent. And do you still love me the same when you realize that I have a wife? Right. And then you're like confused. The person is confused. And I'm like, mm -hmm. no, you still should love me the same because how I live my life with my wife and what we do is quite similar to you all's experiences as well. It's just that something else, maybe religion, maybe politics, maybe a lack of information has skewed or created a filter for you, which you're not fully understanding. Mm -hmm. I feel that way too. I get the feedback pretty often that, you know, because I dye my hair whatever color I want, like that makes people feel like they can be more themselves. And so I feel that way about being because it doesn't scare me as much, to be honest, about, you know, an honest and transparent and vulnerable, you know, I am hopeful that other people will feel more courage to do that. So I'm I'm glad we, I'm glad we share that. Yay. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to, since you're in DC, I am dying to know how you have experienced all the bullshit that's been happening. And so, but before I do that, you consider yourself liberal? 
Absolutely. Politically. Great. Okay, great. So we're on the same page. Yeah. I just didn't want you to be like, and I'm a Trump supporter. And then I'd be like, interview Sarah, over. what is there about me that could possibly ever be? I am black. I am uh, a woman. I am bisexual. I am raising these teenagers. Like, I am a mm-hmm. small business owner and a veteran. Like, there's nothing about me that could potentially be a Trump supporter. I, know. I actually look at him like, what the fuck happened? I've and I look shocked. at our country like, what the fuck, y'all? Mm-hmm. Like, really? This is what y'all did? Like, this is horrible. What was January 6th like for you? Scary as shit is what it was like. So the truth is, I don't quite remember much of that morning. I remember working a bit. You know, when you are a small business owner, you working at interesting yeah, yeah. odd times, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Maybe you're not working at nine, but you're working at 1030. You know what I mean? Like you you never know what's going to happen. And I mentioned that I have teenagers. So there was a point where my daughter came downstairs talking to me about something she saw on TikTok. Now, the teenagers get a lot of their news from TikTok. But, you know, I am Sarah. Mm -hmm. I am not of teenage years. I think you and I are around the same age. Okay. So I'm still trying to filter how we get the news from TikTok, but they do, right? Right. So she comes running downstairs. I'm in my office and she's like, mom, look what I saw on TikTok. I'm like, what'd you see, girl? What'd you Mm -hmm. see on TikTok? I'm looking at her and looking at the computer. It was something weird. I can't even remember the details of it. And I remember saying, okay, give me a few minutes. Let me close out this email. I'm going to come and check in on you. I'm going to go check in on Megan. That's my wife. I get downstairs and my wife has the news on. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? And she was like, there's these protests happening. Remember, they told us that the protesters were coming Mm -hmm. and all of this kind of stuff. So I'm like, "Okay." kids come back downstairs. My son at this point comes down with another TikTok. I'm watching what they're talking about on TikTok, trying to watch the news. Sarah, I am in complete shock. Like, we are two weeks away from you know, the inauguration of our current president, Joe Biden. I am 100% excited about Kamala. I went to Howard. She went to Howard. She's in a sorority. She's Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority. Mm -hmm. I am the other sorority, Delta Sigma Theta. So you don't have to fight because you're in different sororities. I don't know how that shit works. (laughs) No, we don't. We don't. It's all love. It's all love. And so I'm confused with how this is happening in D.C., Right. And my biggest confusion is where are the police? Because when black folks are Mm -hmm. protesting, we are being tear gassed. All the police are out. All the people are, you know, having things to say. The news reporters have their own, you know, perception of what's going on. And then I look and see these folks scaling the Capitol building. Yeah. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. How and you're breaking windows and you're breaking into the door and you're spitting on me and get this and you are alive, right? <laughs> because if anybody that looked like me did that, That's we right. would be killed in Instantly. the moment. So I am confused like, right. what is happening? Because all of our thoughts and fears are being manifested in this moment, still keeping it together, right, Sarah? <laughs> I turned on to one of the more conservative news stations. Oh, why'd you do that to yourself? Girl. Oh, 
Because here I am thinking that I want the comprehensive experience and picture. And immediately started crying. Of course. The report and how they were reporting it was horrible. One of the politicians from the Midwest, I'm not going to say their name because I don't want any beef, right? I'm still trying to build my business. I'm not trying to have them come for me. But said, it's okay if they destroy the building. Just keep them alive. (gasps) Fuck you. And it was done for me at that moment. And I sat there and I cried. And then my next move was to call my friends. Let us all get together. Let us get the village together so that we are experiencing, processing and healing in this moment together. Because if we are all experiencing this in isolation, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows how we're going to feel? Right. And it took me about a good, at least a good couple of days to come from out of that experience. And then it made it beautiful as a therapist, but complicated as a person, because in all of my sessions, I had to process this with my clients. Exactly. So in the moment that I'm trying to process, I'm trying to also help them process. And, you know, Sarah, there's moments and I love, I love, love, love the work that I do. I also recognize that sometimes it is hard because if we are having a shared experience, sometimes it's hard to separate it's impossible to separate. Okay, thank you, sis. Right? It's, it's impossible to separate. we're fucking human too. Right. And then we have to start thinking about objectivity and we have to start thinking about transference and counter-transference. My approach to therapy is cognitive-based, behavioral in application, but cultural woven in. So there are moments where I'm just like, we're just going to live this experience together. Right. Like I am not going to 100 percent be your expert in this moment. What we're going to do is have a shared human experience and we are going to both learn and heal and process together. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to be available after this session and the sessions after that so that as things continue to arise for you, we can be in touch. Also, because some of my clients lived very close to the Capitol. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't just an emotional fear for them. It was also a physical fear. Who are these people who have invaded our city? Some of the people were here in D.C., in Maryland and Virginia. But some of the people were from different states. But you can't tell that because nobody wears a state flag on their clothes. Right. So then it became the sense of if I go to Target today, Mm -hmm. am I safe? If I go right, to right. the grocery store today, am I safe? Were you somebody that was breaking into the Capitol? Or are you somebody who's against me and my safety? Mm-hmm. So it's been it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge. And of course, we were fearful about inauguration and what that looks like. Well, they fucking shut the city down, didn't they? Everything was like locked down. All the way. And, you know, it was sad, too. I mean, we were in we're still in the middle of the pandemic. But for some people, this is the first election that they process and understand. So it would have been nice for them to at least been in some sort of proximity. My mm-hmm. own um, Howard University band was at the inauguration and mm-hmm. played for Kamala. And it would have been nice to be somewhere in vicinity and be right. a part of that historic moment. We watched it, you know, at home on TV with our mm-hmm. family, with our village again, but had that insurgency not taking place two weeks prior, we probably would have considered going out, social distancing, wearing masks and being there. But because we didn't know what Mm -hmm. these folks were capable of, and I have children and 
a family and the people who are dependent on me. I just, I couldn't make the decision to go out there. Well, we know what they were capable of. They're capable of violence and hatred and murder. There were people who were murdered because of that. And But you know, Sarah, nobody really talks about that. They don't talk about the people who were murdered that day. But best believe if it had been somebody who looked like me, that's right. It would have been all over the news. It would have been everywhere. And somebody would have eventually wrote a book and profited off of the story. Right. right. Mm -hmm. But that's the ugly, truthful politics of being in the United States. And no city is immune to that. Not even cities that are seemingly liberal. Oh, I mean, I can tell you, too, in Chicago, you know, the protests that happened after George Floyd's murder, I didn't go out because I'm like, I thought I was going to get COVID. So I was like, I'm fucking staying at home. Like, yeah. I can I can rally my troops here. I can donate money. I can, like, I can write letters, but I'm not going to go out there on the front lines that day. And, you know, I heard there were, like, Proud Boys that were coming in. And, and there were, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, well you know, black people are destroying their own neighborhoods and shit. Like that's, well, A, that's not always what it was. And B, when it is that, you know what? Fucking burn it down. I I saw a video that someone was like, this was never ours. Even though we live in this neighborhood, this was not meant for us. Nor was it owned by us, right? right? And so it becomes a political move. If I burn down the store that's owned by someone else, then that person will either empathize with me And then we bring them into our numbers where they're saying, you know what, Black people are not treated fairly. Mm -hmm. And this is how they're expressing that. Or they're going to switch and not come back to the community. We run the risk. However, Black folks are major consumers in the country. So people are going to be where Black people are because we are going to boost the economy all the time. And so... Even if something gets burned down, somebody's going to come back. And so what we want, though, is for people to start paying attention because people are not paying attention. And collaborate with the community instead of yeah. just the capitalist way of coming in and fucking colonizing, right? Yeah. <laughs> colonizing everything, mm-hmm. Sarah. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's ridiculous to even see present-day colonization, mm-hmm. also known as gentrification. I was in Brooklyn mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. And a neighborhood of Brooklyn that was historically Black, that we saw some of our great artists come from, like Christopher Wallace, known as, you know, Notorious B.I.G. The neighborhood was taken. And when I talked to folks, it was classic gentrification in Mm -hmm. terms of raising the taxes so that the people that were there couldn't afford the taxes anymore. And then forcing them to move out or sell at lower prices. and the people capitalizing off of that. It's the same form of colonization. Let me take what is not mine and make it make you so uncomfortable that you leave and then I could claim it as mine and do it without a guilty conscience, right? Like, well, you left. No, Mm -hmm. but did I? I wouldn't have left if I had an option to stay. And the the modern way that we do that is much more sneaky than back in the day. You know, fucking Christopher Columbus coming in literally like, killing people off. That was not sneaky. But what we do now is it's all under the guise of capitalism. Yeah. And this is like, finally, it was about a year ago when I got like the understanding of capitalism and racism and how, how those intersections continue to perpetuate white supremacy. And it's just, 
yeah, like, oh yeah, we're doing good for the community. Not unless you're actually building community. Right. You can't just yeah. fucking drop something in the middle of the hood and say, look what I'm doing for poor black people. Yeah. That's not how yeah. it works. Yeah. No, it's not how it works. It's not how it works at all. And it's so funny that we're talking about it that way. So I, I own this business, right? I own this small business. And when I'm in these different workshops and programs, they keep talking about getting as much revenue as you can and paying folks the least amount as possible so that the owner could have this huge gap. And I will tell you, Sarah, very transparently, I love my things. I love my (laughs) things. I love my clothes and my shoes. Like I said, I love my bags. I do not love that at the expense of any person. That stuff can go away. Anything could happen and it could not be here. But my people are here and my people need experiences and my people want experiences and they want money and they want opportunity and they, you know, they want to be able to do things because for certain people, money isn't about the collection of money. It's about the freedom to have certain experiences. Exactly. Freedom of mobility if you have wealth. Yeah. And so I'm never really torn about what I do as a business owner. I'm just always intrigued with how other business owners operate. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to just take all this money and I'm not going to share the wealth. Well, honey, if you didn't have these folks, you wouldn't have this wealth, right? They're choosing Mm -hmm. to work for you and work with you. But yes, this major element of capitalism and greed with that capitalism Mm -hmm. comes greed because like I am saying, many of these programs are saying you are the business owner and subsequently you should be greedy. And you should take all that you want to take. My folks continue to work with me because they are paid quite well. They are paid above the competitive market value. Because how can I build the community if I don't give them what they are worth and more than what they are worth? Sometimes it's a matter of more than this financial worth that that's capitalistic terms anyway. Exactly. More than that, because you have goals and you have dreams and there's things you want to do. And so let's make it happen. Let's work collaboratively. That's what a village is, right? Everybody has their own skill set. One of my skill sets is in business development. Somebody else's skill set is in application and implementation. If we work together, then we all benefit from this together. And Mm -hmm. and I don't have to benefit greater than you because we're in this as a team. We're in this as a village. Mm -hmm. I have a million more questions I could ask you about that, but... I need to ask you the healer and wounded healer question before we run out of time. Okay. Do you consider yourself a healer? 100%. I am 100% a healer. And I think I realized that I was a healer early into my mental health career. Although we have the word heal in health, I didn't connect the two, right? Until I started seeing the emotional healing of my clients. I knew what I was doing to heal individually. And I knew that mental health had something to do with that, but I didn't see the connection myself. But I absolutely 100% believe that I am a healer. I'd much rather identify as a healer than a therapist. I also play around with the language because I understand who my audience is at different times. And we still have a ways to go in terms of considering mental health folks as healers. But I am a healer. And if I was in any other place in the world and still looking like how I would look, I would still be trying to heal the folks who are part of my intersected and separated identities and culture. And how do you feel about the term wounded healer? Girl, that's me. (laughs) I, (laughs) 
I actually, there's an article called The Wounded Healer, and it's a scholastic article. And I make sure that all of my practicum students read it. Would you send it to me? Absolutely. Every time I teach the class, I have the students read this article and think about where some of their wounds are and how they have healed and where else they need to continue to heal. Because as therapists, we know our research tells us that many therapists came into the field because they had a major curiosity in psychology that was generally personally rooted. So all of them. Yes. Yep. All of them. Like anybody who isn't honest about that is just lying. Yeah. Yep. 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 We've all got the wounds. All about it. But some people think that they are beyond the place of healing or don't identify as healers. And so they come in only as experts, but healers have to be so close to the wound in order to actually heal it. You have to see it. You have to touch it. You have to be there. If we're looking at physical wounds, sometimes you have to smell it. You have to smell where the infection is. You're so close to it so that you could fully see it, so you could fully treat it. And some of our students come in in this hotty tidy expert kind of, you know, mm-hmm. mentality. And it's like, no, you come back, get grounded, get grounded, mm-hmm. see yourself as wounded so we can treat you as you are embracing this journey of being a mental health provider and heal others as you're also healing. Right. You know, the old soldier in me, I told you I'm a veteran. We were also taught that even if I am injured in war, I still carry my battle buddy with me. If I have one leg that Mm -hmm. still works and my battle buddy doesn't have any, then that Mm -hmm. one leg has to cover the two of us. Right. So You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be completely healed, but you at least need to know where your injuries are so that you can compensate and make adjustments for that so that you can heal people along the way. You can take them to a place of safety in this world that we're in, this work that we're in, you and I, it's that emotional safety that's there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a lovely place to wrap up. But before we go, would you tell people all your social media where they can find you and connect with you? Yeah. Absolutely. It's time already. You know, I love talking, girl. You know, can you tell? I love talking. I you got to spend time with your family. I do. To me. I do. I need to spend time with my family. One of the easiest ways is right through our website. It is onyxtherapygroup.com. And so that's onyx like the crystal, the beautiful crystal that mm-hmm. takes something negative and transforms it into something beautiful. So O-N-Y-X therapygroup.com. We are also on Instagram and LinkedIn under onyxtherapygroup.com. And I can be found because I love engaging with folks as well. My socials are open to the community. And so my social on Instagram is mahogany sunshine, mahogany like that deep brown wood and sunshine like this personality that God has given to me. So mahogany sunshine on Instagram and Dr. Linnell Plummer everywhere else. So if you just put it in your Google search, I show up on LinkedIn and Facebook and all the things as Dr. Linnell Plummer. Also at Hopkins, if people are interested in learning more about my research and my research agenda, then Hopkins is the best way to get in contact with me. And again, put in my name, my Hopkins email address will show up as well as my profile on Johns Hopkins. And that's how folks can get in touch with me. Always available, always open to the community. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciated getting to know you. Yeah, absolutely, Sarah. I love it too. And I love your hair. Everybody can't see your hair, but hopefully you post in a picture and they can see it somewhere. We'll see. We'll see. It changes every day. So (laughs) why bother? (laughs) Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here. For sure. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining us for our convo today. If you enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Plummer, you can find out more about her and her practice at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. And thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for their amazing editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye. <laughs>